Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to the final episode of Help from Future Self for the year of our Lord 2020. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, and this is the Conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends, joined as always for this entire year and every episode preceding this year by my good pal, it's Coach Boulevard Paperfight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. I think you may have scared people with uh, that final episode uh, intro there with uh, leaving leaving it hanging in the air for, for a moment. People were like, oh, this is the end? No, folks, this is not the end. Calm down. I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I maybe did that just a little bit on purpose to perk people's ears up uh, and also switched yeah. up a little bit on my, my intro patter because sometimes I even, you know, don't think about what I'm saying. And sometimes it's good to break yourself out of those kinds of patterns, especially too, when we are on a momentous episode like this, the final one for the year 2020, a strange year for Keyforge, I gotta say. Yeah, it was. Um, so I guess this episode is just going to be you and me chit-chatting about the state of the game and some things that happened this year and just generally looking ahead to 2021. I'm excited for the conversation, but we got to start things off talking about one of the craziest Keyforge sales I have ever seen and uh, relating to a very interesting set, I think, uh, for, for those folks who got in on it. You sent me a message on Christmas Day. Uh, in the evening when I was sitting there watching movies with my partner and you said, uh, hey, check out this website. Board Game Bliss is having a ridiculous blowout on AOA. Yeah, I did. Um, shout out to Mats, who was the original discoverer in our local community, who then passed it on to JD, who then passed it on to me and I passed it on to you. And um, apparently it was well known because... Uh, Lady Caffina, the the great sanctimonious keeper of the Discord and uh, purveyor of great news and connections within the community, uh, I know took advantage of this, even though she was in the U.S., which was pretty neat. But um, yeah, it basically was you got to get a display and a two-player starter for $10 Canadian. Dumb. Which is like $4 American. I kid yeah. slightly, but not that much. <laughs> um yeah. Like it, it was bonkers. Basically, I I went in and I grabbed one of the two of those bundles, so a starter and a uh, uh, a display box. It was eight ninety nine each, and then you know, or sorry, my shipping was eight ninety nine. So my bill came to thirty bucks essentially for twenty eight decks, um, which is pretty bonkers. Now that I stop to think about it, like uh, that's almost yeah. a buck a deck basically. Um, and it's AOA, which is a set that you and I have discussed so many times as being one of those like things that has grown so much in our estimation. It's funny too, because I remember there was a point where you and I were absolutely sick of AOA, just like done mm -hmm. with it. Didn't want to open up a single other AOA deck. Didn't want to play any AOA decks, just wanted to get on to the next thing. It was like such a crazy breath of fresh air when Worlds Collide came out and we just were like AOA was in the rear view. We weren't thinking about it. And, and then gradually over the course of you know, all the time since I think it's crept back into our rotations is just like a fun and interesting set that we like playing. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree. And I, I feel like, you know what it was with AOAs. I think a lot of us wanted to, to get into it and, and buy some more AOA decks. And we were all just waiting for, for like that sale that happened with the Coda where it became mm -hmm. like 40 bucks a box. And then this happened, which was blew that sale out of the water. So uh, just jumped, jumped right on it. Uh, the interesting thing is uh, Lady Caffeina uh, tweeted this out to me when I started talking about uh, 
how I got a whole ridiculous bunch of AOA because I I want in maybe the end of January I want to have an AOA opening day and where we everyone kind of gets together crack some new AOA and then maybe we have some sort of tournament I don't know we'll see I mean, how that comes together but uh, I want to do that but she sent me sent this message saying uh, quote I can't confirm this but someone on Facebook said there were around 750 displays sold. That's 9,000 decks. That represents a 2% increase of all AOA decks registered on the Master Vault. Not meta-changing by any means, but definitely a boatload of decks, which I thought was kind of interesting on one day the sale caused that. I mean, I guess they must have had a ton of stock to get through. I haven't heard of anybody getting like an email from them saying like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't fulfill your order. Like, and it did sell out. Like, literally, yeah. I put in my order for two of them thinking I don't want to be like crazy over the top. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I was like, man, this is bananas. Like, Yeah, I, just, I did three and then instantly bought three right afterwards. And they were kind enough to just refund my second shipping amount, which was pretty, pretty tight. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool. So I, I am extremely excited for when we get to actually like open up these decks and start re-experiencing uh, AOA for the you know the second time. I guess um, it's a set that's grown in my estimation a lot, and I also know a lot of the things that I'm looking for in an AOA deck these days. So I've literally mm -hmm. doubled up my uh, my. Uh, uh, AOA over the course of the last, you know, couple of days. And I'll be very curious to see what happens, you know, now going forward uh, with all these new decks uh, amongst the hands of like the hardcores who are the people who go, yeah, absolutely. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I totally want to play those. Yeah. But uh, that is not the only topic that we are here to discuss today. Got to start things off by just talking a little bit about Keyforge in the year of our Lord 2020. And of course, the big topic, the one that we absolutely cannot not discuss, is what is Keyforge through COVID? Um, we've talked about this so much over the course of this year. We've talked about, I remember when first we went into lockdown, you wrote that great article about ways that you could play in person safely. That's obviously at a point now where for us, if not everybody everywhere, it's not really a possibility to go and play anywhere. Most stores aren't allowing people to, you know, host at least not where we are. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a real risk to get together with anybody in person, especially too in, you know, you and I live in British Columbia, Canada, where literally you just can't have gatherings of people that aren't in your, your bubble, so to speak, you know, not your, your immediate residence or, or what have you. So uh, just general thoughts on what it's been like to play Keyforge at a time when we have to play basically online, or we only had extremely limited possibilities to play live and in person. Yeah, it's been it's been different. It's it's completely warped the way that I'm approaching the game for me personally, because I know I'm not getting out to play these crazy OPs where I'm I'm trying to take down tournaments and I'm I'm really having that hunger and wanting to you know bring the heat every time. Mm -hmm. I, I find that it's it's allowed me to actually step back from the game and and enjoy other aspects of it and and look at it from a different point of view. And at the same time, it's also caused me to want to ramp up my position within the community of creating content and trying to keep people inspired for the game because I know that um, FFG is not putting resources into talking about the game as much and I know a lot of people don't like that but for me that doesn't really surprise me and I think we should be understanding of you're not going to pay people and give put resources to something that can't really be utilized to its full potential because as much as Keyforge we 
right now understand it in an online capacity. In FFG's eyes, it really doesn't have an online capacity. So if you can't get together, you know, these things kind of just add up. And and as a result, we've seen a incredible increase in the community of hosting and taking up that mantle of creating these events online and creating a sense of organized play from a virtual setting. Cause that is the basically the story of 2020 is the term virtual has become very common and very natural for a way to interact with anyone that you know. And we, I think, are blessed to have the ability to do so so easily, if all things considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. For me, it's been a thing that I think um, I was already playing a lot of Keyforge online. Like I was a lunchtime player when I was going into the office. Like I would eat my lunch and I would play two or three games of Keyforge, depending on how long the games went. Um, and, you know, that, that has maintained. So that part of my Keyforge diet has maintained you know sort of it's 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 same i still play at lunchtime a lot every single day i open up a web browser and i go to the crucible and i play online a little bit cannot not thank the people behind the crucible just like we did last week for you know maintaining the the basically for for letting there be keyforge this year without them what would we have you know mm-hmm. absolutely nothing so i mean they're they're i i should hope that someday FFG will be allowed to acknowledge everything those people have done for this game uh, in keeping it alive through a very difficult time, because otherwise it would just be, you know, lying in torpor. It would be non-existent. Um, but I think one of the big challenges for me personally, Blake, was that getting to hang out with you in person, getting to hang out with Rick in person, um, getting to see our other friends in the community, uh, all the local Vancouver players, getting to occasionally interact with folks from elsewhere when they came into town to play uh like we had the opportunity this year um what was that february yeah when we had the prime championship where folks came up from seattle and we got to meet so many cool people uh shout out to austin uh you know it, it was one of those things where that was such a huge part of the game for me and i missed it so much this year because it was a thing that was like it was my thing you know uh i would leave the house on a sunday i would go to where the game is happening i would get to like chat and catch up with folks get to meet new people get to play and not having that available to me really did feel like a blow because you know it was it was definitely a part of my social life and it's definitely one of the things that i look forward to every week from a social standpoint you know just a a, a community of friends and other players who were passionate about the same thing that i was and that i could talk to about those things um and not having that you know it was honestly like it was it was a huge downer for me and it really did make me feel oftentimes that I was just like man I'm just not feeling like super key for G lately I think I've mostly gotten over that to this point but I think yeah. part of what made me get over that was the realization and I think we've discussed this a little bit as well in previous episodes that I love this game and I don't want this game to go away. And one of the things that we have to learn to do because there is no current light at the end of this tunnel. Like we don't know when OP is back. We don't know when stores locally or anywhere else will be okay with hosting tournaments and other events again. Literally, we are at a point where we still, you know, we're just, we're in the neutral zone. We just don't know. At some point we will figure it out, but it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be next week. It's probably not even going to be next month. So understanding that, it made me make a mental shift towards the idea of, all right, well, 
what can I do to continue to contribute to this game, even if one of the major aspects that drew me to it, the social aspect, is no longer there? And I think it was doing this podcast with you, continuing to look at decks, continuing to examine the meta, continuing to read Reddit threads, and otherwise trying to become involved in the game in a way that I hadn't necessarily previously. Um you know, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, I was 100% successful in opening up totally new avenues to experience the game. I think that you having done so much extra content creation really did open up a lot of those avenues for yourself. For me, it's still an ongoing project where I'm trying to find new and interesting ways to examine the game, which is one of the reasons why this AOA thing is so, uh, I think, interesting to me, because it's going to be a way to experience an aspect of the game that I've previously experienced in a new light with new knowledge and new information. Um, and that's kind of what's exciting me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that idea. And, and I like what you said too. Uh, you're, you're right about the, the in-person social aspect of it. I, I did not mention that because it's, it's so far out of my mind now, unfortunately it's just become mm-hmm. like, I've accepted it, but I play Keyforge for that. Like the reason why I like card games that have a physical card, like I, I don't care to play Hearthstone is because I already have so much technology in my life where I'm staring at screens mm-hmm. is I like to disconnect from the technology, have a physical thing that I'm enjoying and playing and have a social interaction that doesn't involve screens. And yeah, that is definitely the biggest loss for me as well. And in, in getting to hang out and, and uh, develop community in person locally. And you, you hit that on the head, like, so well about getting used to going out on those days and having that fun and and yeah i when you said that made me realize like yeah that is the reason why i played keyforge to begin with yeah it's just that that, uh, there are lots of games that you can play if you don't care about talking to people you know there's Mm -hmm. millions of them that's what that's what you know there's billions of video games there's even like you know solo board games and card games you can play if you want to but i think the huge part of it for us has always been like that community aspect for it so what do you do when your community has moved online i mean you're you're also tied into an online community that i'm not which is a thing that i keep thinking all right i need to spend more time on discord but, you know, it's also one of those things where I'm like, man, uh, all of my socialization is online now. So it's it's a little difficult for me to think about dedicating more time to online socialization rather than in person. But I guess it's something that I might have to consider for 2021, if only because I, I sort of am interested in talking to other people outside of my normal circle about the game. But. On a positive aspect, let's talk a little bit about the set that came out this year, Mass Mutation was released in the middle of a pandemic when there was no IRL play. Once again, a huge shout out to The Crucible for getting it up online so that we could play it immediately online. You and I were able to do some very, very limited play in person during a period when cases were way, way down in our province and it looked like we had things under control. Um, Mm -hmm. That is no longer the case and I don't think stores would allow it anymore. In fact, I'm sure that they won't. Um, What has your experience been with the launch of a set and your first experience with it when we had only the capacity to play a very small number of people in real life and the rest of the time we've been playing people online? Well, I mean, you and I and Rick were extremely blessed because we decided to create a a game bubble. And I think we got like a solid month in the summer where we were playing Mm -hmm. every week 
for maybe even longer than that. Maybe it was a month and a half, and we even got to do a release tournament. So I feel like really lucky that we went into lockdown, had everything happened, got to have a little break and play some IRL. It made you, it made me really appreciate the IRL game that month and a half or so that we did get to get together and play. Like when we did the outdoor summer key forge, and we got to go and store um, with our with we created the pod where only this like the only five of us would be together, um, like all that sort of stuff was. It was really great. But I mean, it's it's interesting to think about it from what you just said is is just playing it online and getting used to it because you have the the flexibility of playing a lot of decks uh, during that time because you can have the turnovers really quick. Where if you're playing like in person, it's a little bit slower play because you're getting used to things and stuff like that. So I think that's one aspect that I noticed was a difference. Um, aside from that. I was just, it was just exciting to get to play and the ease of getting to do it and, and having that, uh, I guess the only way to describe it is as a distraction from the monotony of, of being uh, in all the time. Mm-hmm. It, it provided a nice escape and especially because we do have our Discord for Help from Future Self, which most of you out there aren't aware of this and that's for good reasons because we decided to keep this as a local thing mm-hmm. for people in our community to get together and discuss and so we could hold tournaments and it really became um, into fruition when COVID happened. And, and we haven't shared that information publicly in terms of how to join because we don't want that. We, we're keeping it very local right now. It may expand later, but as of right now, we just kept that. And it was really nice to have a place where people you want to talk to and connect with that we would normally see in person. We could kind of experience this new set and share new decks and things like that with each other. Like that's one thing that I found really neat. Unfortunately, you know, it's come in waves where it, our interest online in that sense peaks and then it wanes and peaks and wanes and it's just hard because there we do miss seeing each other and that's what it comes down to and a new set like it it provides a new talking point that's that's Mm -hmm. the that's the long and the short of it it provides a talking point and i think that's what it really did for us was uh it was a new set during a weird time but it provided a conversation and uh, an opportunity to interact when uh, maybe we were waning because we'd already discussed some things in uh, quite great detail up until that point how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I I really like this set. I'm gonna say this, and it's going to be one of those things that I I think we still need a little more time to really like get some perspective on. But it's the set that fell off the fastest in terms of seeing people play it randomly online. Um, mm-hmm. When I play on the Crucible, um, I play a lot of random games. Um, uh, just with random people who are looking for games because I play at lunchtime and I literally just like get on. Where's the free game? Okay, I'm jumping in there. And the time elapsed between the release of the game and then suddenly just seeing people go back to their old favorites when it came to uh, Coda and Worlds Collide and Age of Ascension was pretty short. Um, yeah, Coda's think, king still, I got to say. I'm, I still see more Coda than anything else. I, I still see a ton of Worlds Collide, and it's still I do, like yeah, the most boring Worlds Collide to me. Like, sometimes I'll go into a game and see another person just playing a hot Star Alliance Saurian deck, and I'm just like, oh, God, this again. Um, but, you know, I actually have <laughs> – weirdly, I do have a deck that has excellent counters for that within my my stable. But, like, 
I, I'm mostly interested in playing the current set whenever the current set is a thing. I mm-hmm. still occasionally bust out my old sets, but for me, it's always about exploration of what's in this set. I don't think I've gotten anywhere close to as much time as I would like with the decks that I've opened from Mass Mutation. I still think that there's tons of interesting and cool things with Mass Mutation to explore, but I don't know that as a set it's going to have necessarily that trajectory. Um, I see it very much as kind of an AOA thing, except the thing with AOA is that it was the existing set for such a lengthy period of time um, because there was so much time between mm-hmm. the uh, uh, elapsed between its release and then the release of Worlds Collide um, and also a huge amount of time between the time that it was released and the time that it went up on the Crucible. So I feel like we're going to get to Dark Tidings and we won't necessarily have seen everything about um, uh, Mass Mutation the same way that we saw everything with Coda and we saw everything with AOA. Um I'm looking forward for the point where we get to the similar kind of sale maybe someday that we saw with AOA this past week for Mass Mutation because I would love to open up another 30 uh, Mass Mutation decks and see what interesting stuff happens in there. But uh, it's not going to be until those decks go on deep discount that I'll probably have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to touch on is you talked about how you saw people going back to Worlds Collide mm-hmm. and Coda and stuff like that. And... This is a little bit of a, taking a quick little detour here, but it, it does have to do with the future. And I think that is a testament to the game we're playing, that no matter what happens to the game, people have decks that they love. Mm-hmm. And I kind of talked about this in my my vlog this week, so you should check about it if you're interested in what I'm saying now. I go into a lot more detail there. And I it's basically like the game I don't think can really ever die because the decks don't really change. Whatever you like and love to play will still exist that way. It's not like other games where suddenly cards come into the mix that make something you had before irrelevant and that's all you got to play to win. If you're not playing this, you're not going to win like Magic and uh, Pokemon with deck building. It's like these decks you have exist in this form and they will not change. So the things that you do with it that are fun will always be there. And I think that is something that will create a longevity for the game in terms of like if you like playing this deck a hundred times, then you're gonna like playing it a hundred times more. It's not gonna change, and you can find new decks like that as well because we all have so many decks. And I think that's an interesting thing about KeyForge being um, being able to last beyond maybe even the game's life if that, God forbid, comes to pass, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you 100% on that. I mean, it, it's going to be one of those things where, like with so many things in Keyforge, Blake, oftentimes we've had to kind of make our own excuses to do things that aren't totally natural to the game. Like, mm-hmm. the natural instinct for anybody is like, I only want to play the best decks because I want to win. Um, and so oftentimes it's about us finding reasons to have a limit on what people can play or to make people explore like, okay, we're doing a, an under this number of SAS tournament or okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody is only allowed to play. Uh, you were bringing, doing a triad, but you have to bring one deck from each set or yeah. some combination thereof. And I think that that's going to be a thing going forward as well Is we're going to have to look at different ways that we can present the game for play that will make it appealing, not to just play the absolute best decks, like the absolute cream of the crop. Um, because I genuinely feel like at a certain point, that's just, it's boring. Um, I don't want to play the same hot fire decks, uh, that my, uh, my friends own every single time I get together to play with them online or in person. I want to see a variety of decks. I want to see tons of different decks being played by tons of different, in tons of different styles from the different sets. 
Um, I'm always excited when a new set comes out because I want to see new things. I want to discover new things. I want to see things I haven't seen before. And that's really important to me. And so I'm hoping that with time, we're going to see a lot more of that come up as people, you know, find other reasons to explore what is already out there and really, you know, dig in on it. It's one thing to know the set in terms of what all the cards do. It's another thing entirely to really experience the set. Um, and I guess if there's one silver line to this whole thing of mass mutation, I think having dropped off an interest very quickly, it's that there's still like a lot of stuff to explore with it. And, you know, if we're good, we can continue to do that for basically as long as it's possible to purchase decks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. So looking forward into 2021, we have dark tidings on the horizon. Um, what do you think that we've learned from mass mutation um, and it coming out at a very difficult time for the game or a very, you know, different time for the game, if nothing else, that we can apply to Dark Tidings? What are you anticipating from that set in terms of general interest, in terms of the way it'll be adopted, and so on and so forth? Well, um, I think it's going to have a lot of chase cards in mm -hmm. it because of the evil twin factor, which is going to be, uh, I think, very interesting. I, I don't fully understand the concept of the evil twin if it's uh, there's a select amount of cards or if it's uh, a lot of cards can have it like almost everyone but i'm i'm excited for that aspect is going to create this uh this chase quality that you can have uh, collect decks in a much greater capacity um it's going to be doing this something new which we've never had before which is the high and low tide thing mm -hmm. which is a game state that will constantly be shifting while you're playing and it's the one thing that i'm kind of like i don't know about this because when you play it against other sets, it's going to have an advantage kind of to the Dark Tidings and it will have almost no effect because they're not going to be changing the tide unless I'm looking at this wrong. Because like I said, we we talked about you and I kind of decided we're not going to get too into spoilers. So I'm not mm -hmm. totally well versed in, in all that stuff because I'm choosing not to research anything and just enjoy it as it comes. Um, speaking of spoilers, I mean, I know there has been a lack of those lately because there's not um, organized play happening where they bring decks and stuff like that. And I'm wondering if it's going to slow down the TCO implementation for the set as a result. But I mean, you know what I mean? Did, yeah, no, definitely. Um, what can you say about it other than the fact that we all know that the TCO is entirely responsible for, you know, the vast majority of play that's going on right now with Keyforge. And yet FFG can't ever concede that. Um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, and yet it is in so in their best interest for Dark Tidings to be available all, you know, on TCO on the date of release. And yet they probably cannot provide the entire set to the people who are responsible for programming it. So I don't know how that's going to work out. It will be a, an enormous problem, an enormous problem for the game if it takes like months uh, for implementation to happen with Dark well. Tidings. Well, everyone, reach out to uh, to FFG and, and ask for some spoilers. Demand them to to give us the goods in this <laughs> next month because I think we got. I think it's going to be like two months before it comes out. Rough. I think it's end of February scheduled, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, start hounding FFG to give us some more spoilers. Let us see what's exciting and new in there, so that we can uh, allow <laughs> get more data for those uh, people to code in, so we can get on the game faster. So take control of your future, Archons get FGFG on board, ask them, hey, can you give us some more spoilers? We'd love to talk about this. We're getting excited and ramped up. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, give them an excuse. You know Exactly. Uh, ask and you shall receive, as they say. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just excited for there to be a new set. As much as I've been talking about how I think Mass Mutation still has a lot to explore, it's an exciting time for the game whenever there's lots of new stuff to discover. And I like this pact that you and I have made of trying not to spoil it for ourselves, where mm-hmm. we're just going to, you know, take them as they come. And, you know, I'm sure we'll see spoilers here and there throughout the community just because we're active in it. But at the same time, I'm not going to look at every single card in the set before before things get started. I want to come into this one fresh and feeling like, you know, I, I, I have lots of stuff to learn about the game when I come in. And I think that that's, uh, as a philosophy, one that's going to pay a lot of dividends, especially now at a time when we're looking for new ways to engage with the game. Yeah, full disclosure, I, I slightly cheated when I was when you told me to look at Archon Arcana, the new thing. I didn't read the cards. I just, I just mainly looked at the art, and seeing the art got me really excited. So I had no idea what the card did. I just took in the visual aspect that's going to create and uh, just briefly glanced, and I was like, I really like the flavor and feeling of this set. Like the the unfathomable house i really like the color scheme of that it's in uh it's it's kind of my favorite i'm so I'm, I'm really looking forward to discovering what that house means because uh um i guess aesthetically it's already really enticing for me yeah i i, I would actually say i'm very very much in the same boat as you because I, I think that there's a lot of visual intrigue i like the palette of it a lot like those dark deep blues deep purples um, and, and, you know, sort of the gradients between those, I think is, is very interesting and very appealing. I think aesthetically, it's going to be an interesting set, how it will be adopted and how people will get into it as I guess a, a topic for a future episode of help from future self in another mm-hmm. year. We can't finish an episode of help from future self without the titular segment. This one's called help, help from, future, from self. future self. Blake, I understand you have one for us this week. I do indeed. Yes, that's that is quite correct, Alex. I have uh, a fun lesson that I learned while doing my new. Uh, I guess it's a deck quest now because I, I started a new series called a Coach's Collection, where I decided um, people are really enjoying these videos where I analyze decks, and I don't want to keep opening decks all the time because that is expensive, and I don't want to have just decks upon decks piling up. So what I did was I decided to start looking at decks that I really enjoy, and explain why because some of them have chase cards and the decks themselves are lacking something they don't have high sass sometimes but i really enjoy the deck for various reasons and i had this really cool thing happened where i knew that this one house in my artanu deck was missing the goods and i didn't want to call it like i wanted to call the other two houses the distance but i didn't want to call the brobnar mm-hmm. surprise it's worlds collide but i i instead of just like you know bitching about how Brobnar sucks because the Brobnar wasn't terrible. It just wasn't good. That's like, let's put it that way. I decided to, to look at it a different way. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into the game with this mindset of the Brobnar is not going to give me what I need at certain points in the game. So I need to be very strategic of when I call Brobnar. Cause if I keep ignoring Brobnar, it's going to get to a point where I can't, and then I'm not in control when that's happening. So I decided to have a, have an idea where I mulliganed early to try and get more Brobnar to play it out early. And then there came another point in the game where I had Ember Control, like two really solid Ember Control cards. I think it was a Tribute and a City-State Interest. So both of those are like, you're pretty much taking someone off a key uh, twice. So I knew that those were going to be individually used, calling Saurian turn after turn, and I had a good Saurian board. But I had a bunch of cards in my hand that were Brobnar. Mm-hmm. So my opponent did this move where they went to five Ember, not six, and I was like, huh. I was like, I actually don't have to call Sorian right now because I don't need to take them off check. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do instead is hopefully set up a stronger turn and call the Brobnar now and put it on the board some more creatures, um, reap a little bit, uh, things like that. Like I decided to, to set it up and it, and it was a really profound lesson for me because I don't think I've looked at it that way. Whereas like instead of doing something that would advance me instantly, I decided I needed to hang on to the game and I only had two outs that were going to do that. I could call, I could, because I think sometimes you get to the end game and it's like, who can take the, take the, the person off check more sequentially than the other? So it's like a back and forth. So I'll take you off, you take me off. Who loses that battle first, right? Mm-hmm. And so I realized that in that moment, it was even better because I was holding a city-state interest and I was about to put out some six and eight-power Brobner creatures on the board, which further made my city-state interest have... Uh, potency where more ember is going to be able to be put out there and on big creatures so i was like oh this has that double edge and then that allowed me to cycle into some stuff that wasn't brobnar i have the brobnar out of my hand and i have the ability to just go through this next couple turns and uh, get through it better so it was looking at things strategically from the standpoint of when you have a house you're not keen on is really being aware of when you should call it to cycle it and look for those moments where it will have the least negative impact on what you're trying to achieve and it was a really big level up moment for me like i was just like floored afterwards like i wrote a paragraph of notes from that game because I'm trying to document as I go through this deck and discover things and figure out the best way to play it. And it was, it was quite an interesting uh, discovery, I must say. Terrific. All right. We got to get out of here. This episode has been running a little bit long. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, Instagram, and on the crucible. Say hello. If you're running to me on there, I always love chatting with people who are listeners of the podcast. Uh, where can they find you? And what have you got going on, Blake? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. Best way to reach out and have a conversation. And of course, check out my YouTube channel under the same name. I got my coach's collection currently going on, the weekly vlog, and of course, streams every Tuesday night. Terrific. It's been a pretty wacky year for Keyforge. I'm sure 2021 mm-hmm. will be equally so in its own special way. Very excited to explore it with all of you. Until then, stay forged.